Hello and welcome to this Endo Life. I'm Jessica Duffin. I'm an Endo Warrior and Endo Health Coach, and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. As always, this podcast is here for educational purposes only. Please consult your medical practitioner before making any nutritional changes or bringing in any supplements. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a shout out to my lovely sponsors at BU. And I wanted to tell you about their new bath bombs, which are naturally made and contain beautiful essential oils. And their peppermint and eucalyptus essential oils um, bath bomb is doing so well right now with endometriosis community. They're getting loads of feedback about it. And, you know, if you love the patches themselves you're going to love the bath bombs because essentially it's (laughs) the patch in a bath bomb um so you know if you're on your period or if you're in pain you could have a bath with some of the bath bombs or one of them i don't know you could have multiple if you want um and then yeah get out the bath maybe rub in some cbd balm and put your patch on top, which is um, what a lot of people are feeding back that they're doing. So um, I would love to do that, but um, I don't have a bath, so I can't. But if you have a bath, um, then, you know, I think these new bath bombs could be a lovely way to help alleviate some of your pain. So if you'd like to check them out, you can go to BU which is buonline.co.uk and you can also order them from anywhere in the world on cultbeauty.co.uk and they deliver worldwide. So before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to give a shout out to the lovely girls at Semaine. They are two sisters with endometriosis. They've been on the show before and they founded Semaine, which is a supplement company for people with periods to originally, their first supplement was to aid with PMS and period pain. And I know that it is a lifesaver for so many people with endometriosis and painful periods. I absolutely love that supplement. It's really helped me when I've had to kind of follow protocols for SIBO or, you know, I've had a stressful time and I've been worried about my period. I've been able to avoid a flare with that supplement and they've always been so kind and um, kindly sent me sent me them when I when I've needed them. And now they've come out with a new supplement called the Daily, and it is a hormone balancing supplement, which is designed to help with healthy skin, stable mood, fewer cravings in your luteal phase, blood sugar balance. And they recently gifted it to me. Honestly, I said this to my client the other day. My blood sugar levels have never felt so stable as they did when I was taking that day, daily supplement. As you guys know, I I work very hard to stabilize my blood sugar levels because that will keep inflammation down and it also ensures that you have healthy balanced hormones. It's, it's really, really key. And I have a history of having really unstable blood sugar. Originally growing up, it was because of my eating disorder. But then in later years, it was much more down to firstly following a vegan diet when I didn't understand how to build my plate, a healthy blood sugar balancing plate. And secondly, because of my microbiome and my microbiome because of SIBO is built to actually extract more glucose from my food and cause blood sugar instability. This is actually a really key piece 
of blood sugar. If your blood sugar is resisting all of the strategies you're trying, that is a massive clue that your microbiome is affecting the way that your blood sugar is is being controlled in your body. So we need to work on that, work on your gut. And mine has improved mine has improved massively, but I still react much more um erratically than someone else would to blood sugar fluctuations. And I couldn't believe the difference. It was like I had a whole month of like stable blood sugar. It was incredible. And as a result, I had much more of a healthier cycle. I felt a lot more satisfied. I had less food cravings. I just felt a lot more stable in energy. So I'm a really big fan of this. And as I said, blood sugar is a huge piece to managing your hormones, hence why blood sugar is such a big part of their their supplement. So the girls have kindly given me a discount code for you guys. It will get you 20% off your first um, order, whether that's the daily or the PMS and period support capsules. And the code is ENDOLIFE, one word, all caps. So E-N-D-O-L-I-F-E. And that code is valid for the next six months, I believe. So you can use it at any time. Um, So let me know how you get on with them. I'd love to hear if you find them as amazing as I did. And I hope that they bring you a happier and healthier cycle and period. On today's episode, I'm speaking with my friend and colleague, Kat Smith. Kat was diagnosed with stage four endometriosis in 2009. And after years of decisions being made for her, she took ownership of her own health by training as a nutritional therapist. Kat is now a Life Coach GX registered nutrigenomics practitioner who specializes in DNA testing. Kat's passion is empowering women with the mindset and nervous system tools to confront their trauma, which she believes is a missing piece in endometriosis management. In today's episode, Kat and I are talking about how she uses genetic testing to help people with endo focus on their priority health areas with tailored and individual changes. And this DNA testing really helps people to avoid that overwhelm of trying to change everything all at once. In this episode, we discuss what DNA testing for endo is and why Kat uses it, the areas of genetic testing Kat typically focuses on with endo clients, examples of gene variations and how someone may adapt their endo care and approach to better support these. In this episode, I use a lot of my own health examples, basically so that Kat and I can could demonstrate how genetic testing may work. Um, we didn't really want to kind of give these like blanket statements. So I just wanted to give an individual example, but remember that everyone is different. Um, and what you hear on this episode may not apply to you. So if you're, you know, wondering what your genetic situation is, it is really best to test rather than guess with genetics. All right. So let's get to Kat. I think you're going to love this episode. Hi Kat. Welcome to the show. I feel like it's been ages like we've been planning to have you on, but I'm so glad we're finally here. 
Yeah, me too. Thank you so much for having me. I think it's just been, um, life gets in the way sometimes, but we made it and that yeah. is the key. I think it's been a bit of a year for, for both of us, um, but Definitely. I'm glad we're, we're connected. So um, for anyone who isn't familiar with your work, and honestly, if they're not, go get familiar, go follow Kat on Instagram. Um, please introduce yourself and you know the work that you're doing in the endo community, because it is absolutely amazing. And I don't think that anyone else is doing this? I hope not. I think I think they're not. So I'm Kat Smith and I teach endometriosis sufferers pretty much how to take control of their physical, their mental and their trauma symptoms using DNA testing, which is the area that I specialise in. Okay, and today we're going to dive into DNA testing, which is a whole, a whole world to learn about for me. So you so you use DNA testing for endo. So can you talk about what that actually means for anyone who's not familiar? Because I feel like on these podcasts we throw around so many test names like GI map and like organic yeah. acids test. So if we can talk about yeah what DNA testing is and and why you do it, like what actually got I'd love to know this because I don't think I know. Like why did you go into DNA testing? What interested you? So it's a bit of a crazy story. It was fate, really. There were so many different events that basically landed me at um, a retreat in Portugal, learning about nutrigenomics with Emma Bezik, who owns Life Code GX. And Emma's one of the most genius and lovely women that I've ever met. And from that point on, I was already I was already seeing endo clients, but over the last kind of two years, I decided that I only wanted to use genetic tests just because personally I find them to be really great value um, and get the best results so I think the the easiest way for me to explain what it actually is is to use an analogy of a road network so if we imagine that every chemical in our body is traveling around these absolutely enormous and complicated road systems. So for those from the UK, we're talking at like the M25. <laughs> and as we know only too well, it doesn't always run smoothly. So we're talking about hormones, we're talking about neurotransmitters, we're talking about everything that moves around the body. And sometimes there'll be a road perhaps that is so busy, it's an enormous traffic jam or another one where things are too fast and we get speeding and accidents. Or maybe there's actually an exit that's completely closed. And so what we do with genetic testing is we look at those pathways and we work out why things aren't running as smoothly as they should be. And then we can intervene in that. So, for example, maybe we can um, open a new exit or maybe we can send things down a different road or open a new lane. Um, and we're talking really here about enzymes and receptors. So it might be useful for me to point out that when we're talking now about a gene, what we're really talking about is the enzyme or the receptor that that gene codes for. Does that make sense? Yeah, I'm just thinking about for anyone who, you know, isn't familiar with what the what their roles are in the body, can we kind of go back to basics, like just quickly explain what, what's an enzyme, what's a receptor, like, and just so people are understanding when we're talking going forward, what, what we're referring to. Yeah, so enzymes are pretty much the 
the mechanism by which different processes happen. So everything that travels around needs to be converted and it needs to be used. And so within any one substance, let's say folic acid, for example, we have to go through a number of steps to get to the actual final product that our body can use. Mm. And enzymes make that happen. They also metabolize waste products So when we've used a hormone, when we've used um, a neurotransmitter, we have to get rid of of them. And these are all enzymatic processes. And receptors are slightly different. Receptor is the the kind of lock and key at the end where a substance will launch at the receptor and the receptor is a little beacon picking up the signal. So a receptor might be nice and stable and sensitive. That's what we want. But quite often a receptor might not be sensitive or could be unstable. And these things will also drive symptoms just in the same way as if an enzyme is too fast or too slow. Okay, that's great. And I I don't know why this vision has popped into my head because usually I use a lock and key analogy, but I just thought of like a basketball hoop as like the receptor and like when you're saying it's unstable it's almost kind of like you know swinging not staying still and you're trying to get the ball through the hoop kind of thing yeah 100 um, percent. and sometimes they can be too sensitive as well so it's got to be just right to get the ball through the hoop I guess okay awesome that's really helpful so sorry I interrupted you but um yeah that makes total sense um and that's I mean that's a really helpful explanation. So when you're doing DNA testing, what are they kind of looking for? What does a what does a test involve? I feel like DNA testing to people might sound like scary. I think about a lot of blood. <laughs> yeah, do you know what? One of the things I love about it for endo girls specifically is that it's just a tiny little swab in your cheek. Okay, so, I like that. Yeah, and... I really think it's important that we don't have to do um, really complicated collection samples because sometimes that can be just the straw that breaks the camel's back when it comes to the weighing on 12 sticks or something. So there's an advantage that I really love and you just pop that in the post box. Um, So that's terrific. What we do is we actually pick a panel So it's all really controlled by what the client comes to me wanting to look at. Although, to be honest, 99 times out of 100, I always start with the hormone panel. And that gives us an insight into not just sex hormones, but also into things like um, insulin and blood sugar, a little bit of nervous system work. Um, often I use a nervous system panel, particularly when people come to me wanting to know why they feel not themselves. That's a phrase that comes up. Or if they're really struggling with long-term mental health issues or anxiety, any kind of mood disorder. And I love that side of it because as I've come become more and more interested in the trauma surrounding endometriosis and our lived experiences, I feel like that part of the picture can be so validating and powerful to say well here's why you might be feeling like that here's a here's a reason that could be contributing um and so it's always really special a special moment when I show a client their pathways and we're looking at red green and yellow 
that's just kind of whether something is working well or not in a nutshell. And when somebody sees that color, all those colors on their report, it's so, so validating to say, oh my goodness, I thought it was me. I thought it was just me being silly or being negative or whatever. And of course, there's always a reason. So yeah, I love that element too. Okay. I love that. And I know, you know, you and I have been talking, I'm going to get DNA testing done with you. Um, and it will be really interesting to, to share, um, the results on the podcast for people. So stay tuned. But like, I, I think that's so important because, um, I've had anxiety and depression all my life and it's, there's so many things that have been involved in that, you know, history of trauma. Um, I have SIBO, hydrogen sulfide SIBO, which really messes with the brain. Um, you know, I have had bad sleep for the past couple of years because of my interstitial cystitis, things like there's so many yeah. factors. But what really gets to me is that in the wellness world, but also in the business world, because you and I are kind of somewhere in the middle of that, right? We still need business advice. Um, there's so many people being like, you just have to like work hard and say these affirmations mm -hmm. and, you know, um, energy goes where attention, I don't know, energy flows yeah. where attention goes or something like that. And you can try and coach yourself all you want, but if there's something physically happening um, that you're not aware of, it's so hard to sometimes control those feelings or who are, you know, in situations in life where um, they are, you know, oppressed by society, they are discriminated against, et cetera, et cetera. There are so many barriers. I just don't think that you can make such a claim like that. And it makes me feel really disempowered. So um, I just, I can imagine how validating it is seeing those things in front of you. I know it was really validating when I had my dysautonomia diagnosis. Um, and after everyone had been telling me I was just anxious. So yeah, I just think that that's amazing. And I feel like I need a nervous system panel. <laughs> yeah. Just so you know. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of incredible. Like I, I also, one of the things that I struggled with most um, with with my endo as, as being depression and real mental health struggles. And when I got my nervous system tested and it was a lot of it was all red. So indicating that things were not optimal at all. Um, it just it gave me the confidence um, and the information. Right. Because I think what, what I hear from what you said is like it's not always down to us because we don't have all the information. Yeah. Absolutely. And even worse than that, we've got everybody and their uncle telling girls with endo to take this or take that or don't eat that, eat that. And that's something that I love about these tests is that we can say quite often, actually, you know what, really don't take that, <laughs> really mm. don't. Or really like avoid doing that, which you thought was helping because it might help someone else. But for you personally, that's not going to give you any relief. In fact, what you've been doing with the best of intentions and hopes and efforts is actually driving your symptoms to be worse. And, and I think that's the saddest thing sometimes, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Because, I mean, there is just so much information out there. Um, and a lot of it is very, very well intentioned. But like you said, if you don't know what's going on on the inside. We don't exactly know what 
what's going to work for us and what isn't. And it's quite hard when you've got something like anxiety or depression to really work out. Like I see this a lot with my SIBO clients where they're like, oh, I ate, you know, I ate this thing and I'm really confused because I can, I've, I've eaten it before and I didn't react like that. Um, and then I ate it with this thing and I reacted and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, but you just have SIBO. And it's going to eat when you eat. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's going to be more active because maybe you've had more like FODMAPs that day or, you know, maybe you're like it's you've done exercise. So the bacteria has moved around. There's so many variables. And I think that we can really get into the weeds of trying to pinpoint what something is doing. But it's quite it's quite difficult when you're living with like variable mood swings and variable symptoms. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and I think another thing that that makes this such a valuable tool for me is how it allows you to prioritize for your clients. Because it's so hard when I first started seeing just endo ladies. There's so much that you want to do when you're new at it. You want to do everything, right? You want to you want to heal the gut. You want to treat their SIBO. You want to do everything. And of course, that's kind of counterproductive and totally overwhelming for somebody who's struggling and here we're able to say okay yeah there is this this and this going on also that in the future we might want to address that but right now I don't even want you to think about those things I just want you to do this and this and that's it because we're able to pinpoint where the biggest areas of difficulty or the biggest congestion is. Um, And I love that because it's so different for everybody, by the way. It's not something that you'll necessarily expect. And then then you have this extra info and and it's super empowering. So obviously you just mentioned that it's different for everybody. Um, And this is, you know, in terms of they're trying to look into genetics for for endo to see if they can kind of diagnose without the surgery. But aside from that, in terms of what you see with people, is it all all random in terms of the genetic variations, or do you do you see any patterns or kind of areas that are that are common? Yeah, for sure, the areas. So as we'd expect, there's almost always something going on with estrogen. And it's never what we think it's going to be. Really? Um, Almost never. And initially, I thought when I was not too experienced at this, I thought, okay, well, you know, we're not looking at levels, by the way. So it's not a Dutch test. We're Mm -hmm. not looking at the actual level. We're looking at where the body wants to put your estrogen and where it goes and what kind of estrogen it is. And I thought, okay, well, we're going to get, everybody's going to have, a really high um, kind of pattern down towards 4-hydroxy, which if people aren't familiar, that's just a particular route of estrogen metabolism that's not a very beneficial one compared to the others perhaps. But actually, the the longer I've been doing this, the more I see that it's so much more complicated than that. And actually, sometimes somebody's estrogen metabolism might be great and it's actually pretty balanced. But what's not good, perhaps, is the antioxidant level that's going on to clear up the oxidative stress at the end and the damage. 
Mm. So there's it's just more roots than than we kind of commonly are led to believe. Mm-hmm. And within that little estrogen picture on the report, it might be that on the surface it doesn't look too bad but when you dig into it you go oh okay so that little root there that should recycle that's not recycling or that bit there where the glutathione needs to do its work that's not going very well and so it's like being a detective you're pulling together all the bits of information to find out why is this person struggling with this particular symptom yeah yeah absolutely and i mean I'm going to guess the answer is no, but do you ever see like it all comes back green? No. And that's a really good question because I have to be careful when I show someone a report, I have to explain that everyone has variations on all like on their Mm. genes, you know, everyone. Um, And it's not uncommon for somebody to look at a report and have lots and lots of red but then it's also not uncommon for there to be more green we're all just really different um and it doesn't mean that something is always going to be awful that's kind of where we go look yes there's a lot of red but these are now the things that we can do to intervene and balance it up so it's never a finite thing yeah okay so is there any chance we can go through some examples of gene variations um, and and how someone might adapt their their kind of endo approach to better support these? Because I know that's kind of what you do. You have a look at what the results are and then you you create this, I don't know what you would call it, um, protocol for lack of the better words, like just an approach where, like you said, you just want someone to focus on these one or two steps. Um, but are there any like variations off the top of your head and how how would that yeah how would that change their endo care well quite an interesting one that I'm using a bit more these days is looking at how we metabolize pain meds Mm. um because I was thinking before we started chatting um yeah which thing is kind of interesting at the minute and to me maybe this is um a kind of a secret bit which People don't think they will be able to get any support with. So commonly, a lot of my clients are taking, um, let's say, cocodamol, just as an example. That shit messes me up so bad. Well, I don't. I haven't taken it in years. And I reckon that we could, we might be able to make some guesses about why, but it's an interesting one because paracetamol, essentially, like when you metabolize it, Halfway through that process, you get something called NAPQ1, which is hugely toxic. And in fact, when you um, when you when somebody takes a paracetamol overdose and they're admitted to hospital, mm-hmm. what they actually use there is basically an intravenous NAC and acetylcysteine. If people aren't familiar which is the precursor to glutathione. Now, why am I talking about that? Well, glutathione comes up for us endo girls all the time. So if I look at someone's results and I'm I'm looking at, okay, right, we go down here, we get to NAPQ1, often that process is fast. So if I look at my DNA, I get through to that toxic thing really quickly. And guess what I don't do very well at all? I don't get rid of that. And that is a problem. (laughs) 
Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. These natural patches last for 12 hours, so they bring you prolonged relief and can begin working on relaxing your muscles before the pain kicks in, so you're prepared even if your period comes during the middle of the day. Some people even find that wearing them a night before their period can really help soothe the inflammation in the area. To shop, just head to the link in my show notes. So this is really interesting because I get like spaced out from paracetamol. Um, I rarely take any any pain meds. I'm, I'm very lucky that I don't I don't need to. Um, but if I if I feel like my um, I mean, I don't take them for my bladder because I don't feel it works and I'd be taking them every bloody day. But um, if I take a paracetamol, I'm always really confused because I'm like, why do I feel spacey? Is it just because I don't take them? But it's always something that I've noticed. It's weird. Well, there'll be three things that we'd look at on that um, example. We look at glucuronic acid and see what's going on with the UGT genes. The second place we'd look is the glutathione genes, the GSTs. And it's this is anecdotal, by the way. There's no evidence for this, but I've noticed that maybe 99% of endo girls have really, really severe variations on those. Okay. And then the last one is sulfur, so the salt genes. So we would look at those and say, okay. And it might be that we decide to either keep using paracetamol, but to, to do some things to alleviate the problem, or we could try something else. And then you come to the um the codeine part of the picture and this is really cool so quite often i see um a variation on the opioid receptor and this means this is something that emma and i were, were talking about recently because she brought it up and highlighted it for me she said oh have you seen this research that shows women with severe pelvic pain and or period pain tend to have um, variations on their opioid receptors and therefore need higher doses of opioids like codeine to get the same effect. Wow. So why is that important? Okay, well, it kind of means that if somebody's taking something like cocodamol for their endo on a regular basis, the likelihood is that they're going to be needing more and more to satisfy that receptor. And as we know, it's super, super addictive. Um, it also then has to be metabolized, and that's kind of a separate conversation. But it's just a nice example of how specific we can get somebody's plan um, and maybe to explore different pain meds if that's appropriate, maybe. Yeah. Okay. That's so interesting. Um, so I, I'm just going to give you some examples. I know we, we've talked about this already that you can't really make assumptions based on based on symptoms you need the test in. But I just wondered if, because you were really great with, I just said about the paracetamol and you were like, well, it could be this, this, this. Um, when I drink caffeine, I have a very messed up relationship with caffeine where I don't drink it for a long time because I feel so much better without it. Um, but because I have low waking cortisol, um, and uh, many other things going on with my nervous system, my body, if it gets a little taste, it's like very quickly like, oh, you know, it's it's pushing up cortisol, it's pushing up your adrenaline, and then yeah. I end up on this kind of um, downward spiral where I have it every day, and then I have to stop because my mental health goes downhill with yeah. it. And it's not – it's 
Yes, it is anxiety, but it's not typical. It's not like, oh, you get anxiety because you've got the coffee jitters. It's actually more like depression. Like it might start off as anxiety when I'm having that first cup, but as the days go on, it becomes much more like low moods and a lot of mm-hmm. depression. Um, and I mean, this certainly could be to do with my dysautonomia and the histamine issues with caffeine um, and tea and coffee and things like that, because I, I have those problems. But I also have, I also suspect that I don't do well with metabolizing caffeine um, or the neurotransmitters like adrenaline that it, you know, it shoots up. Um, But I'm just interested to hear, that's just my suspicion. And I'm just interested to hear if you have any theories. Oh yeah, for sure. So like from the way that you've described it, I would be amazed if you didn't have variations on your adrenaline receptors. So there's two, um, ADRB1 and 2. And what's really unique about these adrenaline receptors is there's no negative feedback loops. So essentially, when we activate them, something happens that makes us slightly stressed or or there's there's an excitatory kind of thing going on. It doesn't stop in the same way that other processes switch themselves off. It doesn't do that. And again, this is anecdotal because there isn't any evidence apart from a mine and what I'm saying. Quite often we have um, a really severe couple of snips there. So a red, just if people want to know this, a red snip, be a snip is a little polymorphism, basically. A red one is the most severe kind of snip, and that's called a homozygote snip. So that means that that's as, as bad as it could possibly be. I've got two reds on my adrenaline receptors. Oh, really? Yeah, I would suggest you might have that too. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, and what that means is not just that you're going to be feeling stresses um, and stimulants acutely for much longer and, and much more exaggerated than other people. It also really drains your methyl groups So you're then going to become exhausted quite quickly because you can't methylate and that's going to affect your energy and your mood. And also it's going to create much more um, adrenaline that you can't clear maybe depending on what's going on with like your compt and your MAOA. So that's, that's my kind of guess for you. Although there's also a SIP enzyme, SIP1A2, that's responsible for metabolizing and getting rid of that caffeine. So you might have one or the other, or you might have both, um, which I, I certainly have both. So you might have two. Oh, wow. You have a cocktail of things going on. So much. It's basically just a red mess, which is okay because I know what I'm dealing with. So, yeah. So for someone like you, who you do have both of those adrenaline snips, and they're red, they're severe. Do you like what would be the implication of that? Are you more like mindful of caffeine? Do you rule it out completely? Like, what does that look like for you? I mean, look, I am great at giving advice, but I don't always follow it. So, what it looks like for me is I will always make sure I eat a really balanced meal before I drink any caffeine. Yeah. yeah. It means that I'll try and source some adaptogenic mushroom blends which just curb that um, adrenaline response quite nicely um 
and always limiting it. But I do love coffee. So mm. I realized that those measures had to become non-negotiable because the aftermath of not doing that properly and taking those measures was going to be so profound, not just on my mood, not just on my neurotransmitters, but also the knock-on effect on the HPA axis mm-hmm. and my estrogen, um, so my all of my endo symptoms and my fibroids until recently because I recently had a hysterectomy for those. So it's become like one of those examples where you go, okay, that that is really important. Should I use coffee? Probably shouldn't, but but at least I can kind of make a plan that works for me. Yeah, yeah. I, this is it's so interesting. I I have I have so much to to say about this from my experiences, but um, yeah. I mean, I'm exactly the same. You can't. China aim for perfection is going to exhaust us and it's also about being gentle yourself um I'm I'm back on my mushroom lattes um whoop, whoop. but <laughs> but you know like I've been traveling and it's actually been quite stressful because we've been sitting these um these dogs and I've just like ended up like using caffeine to get me through um and it's just become a bit of a vicious cycle. And now I'm like coming off it again. But I'm at the point where like even, even dark chocolate, um, really, I'm, I'm not doing well with that. So, um, and it's really interesting because, you know, I've got this diagnosis of dysautonomia. My heart is, my heart is too fast. My breathing is dysregulated and they kind of are like, well that's it you just have dysautonomia you're just a dysautonomia person but I'm like "Mm, I think there's a reason why I have the dysautonomia (laughs) like Mm. it's and this could be part of it you know the adrenaline I also think it's because my 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 cortisol is very 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 low so the adrenaline is overcompensating um and so I really like what you're doing with the DNA testing because I really hate when you just get this like well you're just like x or you just have that and it's like but there's, I think there's something more behind that, that we can work with. Um, and I'm just on a bit of a, a journey with that at the moment. And I think that what you're saying makes a lot of, makes a lot of sense. But, um, and, and I feel the repercussions of caffeine for me is huge. Um, and it, it's not even a choice. Like I, eventually I have to come off it cause I'm like, I'm just gonna <laughs> blow up my whole life if I don't get off tea. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, it's crazy because I live on a tiny island in the Mediterranean where if you go for a coffee, you get like a triple espresso and that's it. (laughs) (laughs) And I love I love it. But I can't do that kind of coffee, you know. So the locals have now gotten used to me going, oh my god, it's that English girl, that stupid English girl. She wants loads of water and a tiny amount of espresso and you know, all that kind of thing. Um that's hilarious. Yeah. But in fact, the same might even be true of something that seems healthy, whatever that means, or seems clever, like taking methylated B vitamins, right? Um Mm. I think nothing made me feel worse than that. Weirdly. Right, yeah, because you were saying that the other day. Um crazy. It was a kind of a more like advanced learning experience because some of us are familiar uh, with the MTHFR gene Mm -hmm. and its relevance in terms of converting 
folate, folic acid down to methyl folate, which we desperately need. Um, and a few years ago, I thought, oh, God, I really need that because I like I'd studied my whole DNA, um, all of the panels. And I noticed like because I suffer with chronic fatigue often quite badly, I thought this is it. This is the missing link here, guys. I'm going to have to take some seriously high dose B vits. I'm going to take this. And I felt like I was going to die most of the time. Oh, my gosh. So I went back to um, Emma. Uh, who runs Life Code GX? And I said, Emma, what the hell is going on here? Why is this not helping me? Um, and of course, this is it's what comes from experience. She said, Yeah, but don't forget, go back to your nervous system. If you're taking really, really high doses of those methyl B vits, you're increasing the production of dopamine, of noradrenaline, and adrenaline really seriously. And now look at your metabolism. You already are totally shit at getting rid of those neurotransmitters, like terrible. So you've just ramped them up to the point where you are wired and exhausted and feeling the worst you've ever felt. Wow. So I think that's relevant for people to know that if you're not able to test um, in a way like this or in any kind of testing way, better to be conservative about the interventions that you use because I now know that going hard with something like that can be really dangerous or really unhelpful. Mm. So do you now have you because obviously you you need that to a degree so do you just take have you just reduced your dose or have you just stopped completely? So now I take a really conservative gentle dose of unmethylated b vits okay which i noticed that i can tolerate just fine um yeah and is that helpful even though you struggle to convert the the folic acid and the b12 and things yeah because it's just increasing the substrate that's available so even Got though it. i'm shit at it and those enzymes are all red those genes are all red there's what there's more supply so it's just like just gently saying okay here you go keep going there buddy have a little mm. bit more um and that's enough just to increase that and to feel a benefit but it really is all about trying and seeing and, and putting all the information together so if we look at one pathway in isolation that's that's never a clever thing to do because so many interlinked things like that example, like, all right, well, I've looked at my MTHFR gene. Okay, great. But you've got to put that alongside the other pathways too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And what, that's such a great example. So thank you for sharing. So when I think from, you know, DNA testing, it's not, you know, it's not, cheap so if someone couldn't afford it when when's the time when they're like okay now I do need to test now I need to save up and test like is there any kind of indications that this is the time to test or is there something they can try before so I'd say that quite often the circumstances that would lead somebody to come to me wanting to do this sort of testing might be for example somebody who's had repeat surgeries for their endo um, and perhaps they've got like a really aggressive um, disease which just seems to create regrowth very quickly. That might be 
a time when somebody says, okay, well, you know, this is important. This is a priority. Um, like I said before, it, it could be somebody who's really struggling with their mental health and it's just not getting relief from any conventional route with that. Um, and people that just feel not themselves. So they, those are the times when somebody will come and say, okay, enough of this now. I just need to know what the hell's going on. Um, also, quite interestingly, the, the tests themselves are even more affordable than some of the functional tests out there, which I think is really, really cool. Um, but of course, I would just, it's really kind of important to point out to people that you do need a practitioner who specializes to interpret them for you because it it's like a different language, isn't it? A completely different language when you look at one of these things. Yeah. Um, and even though it's the only thing that I do, I still, we're still learning all the time, all of us. So, yeah. So can I, I mean, does it vary per panel? Like just so people know what, what is the price of, of the DNA testing? So, so for me, I include that price in, um, oh, okay. in my services, but there is a charge, like basically for how many you want to do. Mm. So when a client comes to me and they want to look at their DNA, um, there's one panel already included in my services and what I charge my clients. If somebody wants to go a little bit more advanced and look at multiple panels, then I think the the extra charge per panel is something around 120 pounds. Oh, um, okay. Just yeah, and that's because once you've sent your sample away, that sample bit has a specific cost, and then you can kind of add additional, well, I don't know, bolt-ons if you like, within three months um, of your first one. Mm -hmm. So quite often someone will come and say, okay, like we've had a good chat here, which test do I need? And as I say, nine times out of 10, it will be the hormone test because it's usually the most relevant. And they'll say, okay, but I also want this other test. I want the nervous system test or whatever it might be. And say, okay, cool. Well, that's fine. You just, we'll just add that on. So that's how the process works. Okay. That makes sense. And actually you're right. I mean, you know, the SIBO test is 160 GI map is what, 300, 400? And yeah. OPS is about 300 as well. So <laughs> there you go. It is cheaper. Dutch is like, I mean, Dutch is crazy depending on which one you're getting. Um, yeah. But that can go up to multiple hundreds as well. Um, okay, that's really helpful. Thank you. So how can people find you and work with you? Because I imagine that there's now a long list of people listening to this wanting, wanting to work with you. I know I do. This sounds so interesting. I'm fascinated by it. I really am. So I mostly hang out on Instagram. So if somebody wants to connect or just, you know, ask questions or chat, then I'm endoplan underscore cat with a K. Um, and also if you're a practitioner, because I now I'm working with practitioners, which is a real honor um, and a completely crazy thing to me because I used to be a secondary school teacher. Oh, really? Then, oh, yeah, no, you said yeah, that to me. Nothing to do with science, by the way, in any way at all. Um, anyway, so now I'm also training other practitioners to sort of serve their endo clients better. Um, so if you're a practitioner and you're thinking, yeah, I really need to um, – I need to do a little bit more work on my endo care. Um, I have the next round of my training in January. Just FYI, that's not a DNA training at all. That's just, um, you know, practitioner training. 
And there are lots of different ways to get involved with either working with me one-to-one, getting your DNA tested, or even just getting some resources that might help people to, to make a start and unpick what's going on for them. Okay. Amazing. Kat, thank you so much. I found this so fascinating and, um, yeah, I mean, sorry, I brought up so many personal examples, but I think it's just sometimes helpful to work with like real life, you know, tangible examples that we can kind of pick apart. Um, so thank you so much for answering my, (laughs) my many ridiculous questions. Totally Um, not ridiculous. They're really valid questions. Um, yeah, this has been great. And thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. So that's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it, um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, You can head to my website, which is www.thisendolife.com. And you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website. Um, I've put the link in my show notes. It's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis. As always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe really truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis this episode was produced by the pod farm whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world 